Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Borussia Mönchengladbach are going to have a chance in stoppage time to win the game. is only 28 and is regarded as one of the sharpest coaching minds working in European football. But our guest on Between the Lines didn't follow a traditional route into top flight football. At that time I was watching a lot of YouTube videos about players and just thinking about how they're doing this, why are they doing things. I was looking for people where I can discuss all these things. He was a detailed tactics writer whose work caught the eye of Thomas Tuchel. Fast forward and he became the assistant to Marco Rose at Red Bull Salzburg before joining him at Borussia Mönchengladbach. And it is Borussia Mönchengladbach who have done it. 13th time lucky for Mönchengladbach. They have beaten Borussia Dortmund at last for the first time since 2015. Now, if you've ever watched them play, you'll be as excited about this interview as I am. Welcoming Rene Marek, the man who went from breaking down Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp's pressing game to helping implement one at Gladbach. I think uh, football is not a coach's game, it's a player's game. The man who has a very big and very bright future in management talks us through his journey and explains some of the most successful concepts seen in the modern game. In the end, tactics is nothing else than facing a situation on the pitch and solving it. You've had quite a unique route into professional coaching. How does a tactical blogger become one of the brightest minds in European football and an assistant manager at one of the most entertaining clubs you can actually watch at the moment? First of all, uh, thanks for the compliments. Um, it's always very nice to hear when uh, we're called entertain because, entertaining because I think that's uh, one of our main goals, one of our main targets as a staff and as a club. And obviously there was a lot of luck involved that I can be part of it. Um, I was studying in Salzburg and I was working in a village near Salzburg, one hour away from Salzburg. I was obviously following a lot of the rebel clubs and the youth academies. And because of that and my blogging on Spielverlagerung, it's a German website, I was able to get in touch with Marco. We were talking about his team that I analyzed. And obviously, we were also talking about just coaching in general, what I'm doing with my team on amateur level. He's very open, which is uh, 
not usual. So I was lucky in that regards already that I was able to discuss with him, to get in touch with him, that he was so open also to just a much lower level actually than uh, he was coaching at. And still being able to discuss, being able to learn from him, also him being open to maybe get ideas from me. And through half a year, we were talking more and more about different things. And after half a year, I again had luck that uh, at Salzburg, they were looking for an assistant coach for him. And I asked him and he said, we can try. And in the end, I went through the process talking with the academy director, with him. And I had more or less a regular process in terms of just trying to get a job. And in the end, I got it. And since then, we're working together. Okay, so talk to me about becoming a tactical blogger, because that is a passion project. It's still a very niche market. More fans are starting to become very interested in the tactical side of the game. But modern football is still largely dictated by the transfer market, headline names, and that kind of stuff. But what started as an escape for you and an enjoyment actually attracted the right audience. Managers were reading your work. Yeah, I think that um, it was uh, not really a plan behind it or anything. For me personally, because at the start, we were five guys who started the, the homepage, the website. And in the end, everyone had different uh, reasons why we were writing together, discussing at the start. We were just a small group of people who were discussing football on different levels, not only tactical. I was coaching already my youth team for one year. I started coaching because I got an injury. So the club asked me to stay connected to the club, to stay connected to the, to the village I'm living, to the people there and also to football in general. So they offered me to coach the under 11. I coached them for one year. I was uh, talking with different people on the internet because in a small town, especially with my injury back then, it's not so easy to find people where you can discuss football in general, not just tactics. Um, at that time, I was watching a lot of YouTube videos about players and just thinking about how they're doing this, why are they doing things, how can I make my boys better? And uh, in the end, I was looking for people where I can discuss all these things and we went into the tactical side more and more when we were talking different things. I think uh, tactics is often wrongly defined also. And through all these discussions, we were thinking about why not trying to find more people uh, which are eager to discuss these things, also to get feedback and obviously looking at the top level. So we were just analyzing uh, games and the internet, but also writing different articles on the psychological side of the game, on the coaching side of the game. And that was always besides my university and also besides my coaching career at uh, amateur level. Before we go any further, I just want to pull you up on something you said there. You think tactics have been wrongly defined. So why do you think it's the wrong definition and how should we define it in the right way? I think that the people are just, when you mention tactics, people are always thinking about some formations. They're thinking about match plans. They think about adaptations to the opposition. But in the end, tactics is nothing else than facing a situation on the pitch and solving it. So when a player is uh, deciding upon an action in the game, he's uh, doing a tactical decision. So he's uh, deciding, will I pass to the left? Will I pass to the right? Will I pass forward? He chooses how he will pass. And these are already tactics. And I think uh, football is not a coach's game. It's a player's game. And that's why we're not able to give them a very specific plan and we cannot expect that plan to be 100% uh, 
sure before the game. We cannot expect that the game will unfold. So if you're highly specific, we will be wrong for sure. Um, what we have to do as a coach is, is to give a platform and a reference, an orientation for the players, so to say, that they are able to do right decisions in the right moment together with their teammates in order to win. And also we can add some things that we play a certain way, a certain style that we believe is uh, more entertaining and also more successful. That's what we can do as a coaches, but it's, it's uh, always depending on the players. If they do not like to play this way, if they are not convinced to play this way, if they are not able to play this way, it will, uh, it will not work out. So we have to always think of the players, always think of their intentions, always think about giving them support for what they do, because in the end, it's their game, it's not our game. We're going to go into that in greater detail because that's very interesting. And I think the listeners will really reconfigure their minds and how they see things and appreciate the players taking these decisions more. But I want to get back to the tactical writing because one of the first people of heavyweight status to read it, to be impressed by it and respect it was Thomas Tuchel when he was still in charge at Mainz and he commissioned you to do scouting reports. Were you surprised that a Bundesliga manager was reading your blog and wanted your expertise? I'm not sure if he was impressed. And back then I didn't uh, think too much of it. Obviously, I was uh, surprised. I was very proud because uh, I didn't never expect this to happen. We were still writing for a very small audience back then. And... I think it was just uh, interesting for me back then to be able to just sit down with him and talk once because we were uh, the first meeting was uh, in person, face to face. And I think it was just interesting that someone was interested in our work and that uh, it was a little bit of a confirmation that it was not totally wrong what we're doing. But I still think that it was more a different perspective for him than anything else. And it just, um, and I think back at it now. At the position where I'm at, obviously, when I read similar analyses or reports uh, or even opinions about our players, I still think that there are a lot of things where I can take small aspects out of it for reflection, maybe even for addition. But in general, I think it's mostly about different perspectives in this case because everyone views the game differently. Everyone views our ideas maybe differently. And based on this, they are writing something. They're more or less giving us feedback without knowing the premises but still they're knowing the premises so we can maybe look at small things look at uh, different ways of thinking about the same decision or the same player or the same idea in a specific game or in general also in terms of our playing style so I think it's not about being um, really impressed by me or by our work or whatever it was more just a different perspective, just trying to get into touch with someone who has a different perspective and uh, just uh, seeing this different perspective, how it uh, develops. And obviously, I was very grateful that just uh, there was a possibility to talk with someone who's uh, so successful and so good in his job. And for me back then, it was a, a big thing. But it was also, in hindsight, it sounds like, you know, it's big. It was a starting point. But at the end, it was just... Uh, a very nice meeting and some really interesting uh, jobs and talks and that's it. That's actually enlightening that managers do have an open mind to look at what other people are assessing of their team 
and are interested enough to go and seek out these opinions and find out more about it. Now, Tuchel is of massive interest in England at the moment with Chelsea. What can the Premier League expect from him in a tactical sense? Because everyone that I've spoken to from the Bundesliga says he is an excellent tactician. He's perfect on the training pitches. And so having analyzed his games in the past, followed his career quite closely up until his work at PSG, do you think his type of football will be suited to the Premier League? Obviously, you never know how the first steps of the team, of the culture in the in the team and the league, with the opposition, the first results, which sometimes are not really in line with the performances, especially not in a season like this, where you have a lot of games, a very congested schedule. So it's very hard to predict if he will be successful. But just in terms of his abilities. I think he's a really, really good coach. He's very knowledgeable about the game. He's very knowledgeable about teaching the game, about creating a playing style. I think that he's a very good coach for the Premier League. Normally, he's a coach who is um, very accurate in his ideas. So he communicates them well. He knows what he wants to see on the pitch. He knows what to expect from the players. And normally... If uh, you watch his uh, Dortmund team at the start, when he was there, they play a really, really attractive brand of offensive football. You just can see a really good organization, a lot of movement, and just in general, really good actions. And I think that if uh, things go normally, he will be a really good addition to the Premier League. You've said there that football is hard to predict in general. But this season, that's been taken to the extreme because the game has been totally reshaped by coronavirus. There's a very limited recovery time for players. There was a very short preseason. There's been more games in a more condensed space of time. As a coach, how do you adapt to these new circumstances? What measures have you guys put in place? I'm not sure if the process in itself is actually different. But you have to decide in some things a little bit differently than maybe you could have done in the past. You have to search for rest days. You have to give them rest days. You have to give them days off, just uh, not only for what's happening under the head, but also what's happening in here. Because I think that there's just a lot of pressure right now, a lot of games, a lot of focus on the different games, different opposition. And I think that's, that's a lot of fatigue on the whole body. And we have to work very, very tightly with our conditioning athletical department, with our medical department. We just have to be very accurate in our decisions when to give them less training, just to regain freshness, which type of training on which days, how many days before the game or after the game, how we will cope in terms of just training different aspects of the game. We have to focus what's the most important for a specific game or in regards to our playing style. So it's just a lot of decision-making about the most important things. And the most important thing is obviously the player's health. So the most important thing also for us is how much rest in which situations can we give to each player individually? How can we make the regeneration process uh, the best possible way? So maybe where we before, where we knew we had more time, we would travel back in the night. Now we will sleep 
at an after an away game so they can sleep immediately and then maybe we'll do training in the morning already before we go back or we go back and then when we arrive we do training and give them off so there's a lot of different things that are happening and you cannot just take some general rules you always have to look based on some guidelines and some principles for each situation each week so i think this process is um really tough in terms of being always aware of each player's individual load, his fatigue and the possibility to give them some rest. You try to keep a good atmosphere because that also keeps them fresh. And it's just uh, a lot of things that are important anyways. You have less space and less space for errors also. One of the things that a lot of players have now flagged is that the unity you build as a team, those moments when you can really be together, whether it's sharing a joke in the cafeteria together while you're having your food, um, spending a lot of time together on your travels away, and generating a real bond, that's now been taken away in a sense. Yeah, started already last season, so I think that's that's an issue that's, for us, since March, when the lockdown in Germany started, at the start, we were not allowed to train. Afterwards, we were training groups of two people. And they were sometimes, some players, I think, didn't meet for like four or five weeks at all. Like, not even just for training, nothing. And then afterwards, they were starting in smaller groups of four people meeting at the train. But even at the train, we had to do drills with distances. And in the everyone had a separate locker room, so... It started and it was more extreme back then than it was afterwards. Like in summer, as you know, the numbers are going down and they were able to meet, the, meet their family, their friends. So I think it's, it was really a tough time in March. They grew accustomed to it, but you still lose just some of the atmosphere within the dressing room, just some possibilities to bond with the players, the players bonding with each other. And I think it's, it's not so easy also right now. Are there... Elements in-game that has had to change. We've noticed a general trend across Europe where the pressing stats have dropped. So have coaches become more conscious of those kind of elements that maybe players aren't able to run the distances that they usually do, aren't able to consistently keep up with the intensity levels that they would usually expect of themselves? I think in autumn, sometimes it was uh, quite visible when we had a lot of games in a very small time frame. When they had the national team, I think it was not so easy all the time to just go through with our playing style. We tried to keep uh, it the same, obviously, because our principles stay the same, but the players adapt themselves. Maybe they would tire off, uh, before after 80 minutes and now it's after 65. And it's different for each player individually. And I think that we're just trying to keep our style as much as possible, but obviously we have to adapt in some things. But it's more a process that's happening together with the players, that the players are also enforcing. So often when we talk before the game, and they also know that in some weeks where it's really tough, where we have three games in a week, that maybe you will not play because of rotation and you still can trust your teammates to just give a good performance and to support the team and the success of the team. So I think that's important just to establish uh, this frame to use the substitutions really well. And also you just hear that some players perform worse without a crowd. Some players might perform better without a crowd. 
And for us coaches, we have the possibility to just take more influence in the game than we had before because you just hear everyone on the pitch. You hear the players. You hear what they're discussing. You can support them. You can give them some advice from the sides that they hear, which is normally very, very hard, especially for me as the assistant manager. If there are 50,000, 60,000 people in the stadium, it's even tough to hear the head coach and me from the bench. The doctor is... Is nearly impossible, especially on the other side of the pitch. And right now, if you can use your voice properly, everyone in the stadium will hear you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This week at Sukarnov. On WrestleMe this week, we talked about the worst way to accept a Hall of Fame award. They were just trying to, you suck it. You suck and then he pours milk over yourself. <laughs> Pouring milk over yourself is absolutely something that if you did it once in any scenario, people would never forget it. <laughs> we were just having Christmas dinner and, and like, you know, he just poured two litres of milk over himself. Or if you're more in the mood for some awkward anecdotes, Alex shared his experience with the cast of Event Horizon on this week's Clash of the Titles. We meet Smitty, played by Sean Pertwee, a man who I bumped into in a bar having never interviewed and literally chewed his ear off trapped him in a corner of a booth where he couldn't actually stand up and get away from me and talk to him incessantly about this film. Later on in the night his wife said to me Sean's outside if you want to carry on talking to him about Event Horizon (laughs) (laughs) All that and more at Sukarnov You said earlier that football is a player's game and not a coach's game. 
But you also said that with the current circumstances around COVID, with the games behind closed doors um, and in empty stadiums, that coaches are able to have more of an influence because they can hear the players better and the players can hear their tactical instructions better. So do you think maybe the fact that it's a player's game has altered slightly with the fact that coaches are ha- able to have more of an impact? Yeah, I wouldn't say that uh, we can take over their decision process. It's still a player's game, 100%. But I think we're easier to guide them in their decision-making. and we're easier. It's easier just for us to partake in the whole process of the team, to influence them from the sides a little bit. And I think it's very interesting because at the start after the lockdown, it felt like really like ghost games, it's called in Germany. And it was uh, really tough for me in the first one or two games just to decide upon how we should behave on the bench. Should you be louder than usual? Should you be different than usual? What are you doing? And uh, it needed two or three games for every one of us on the bench just to find our authentic individual way how we should uh, behave. And in the end, I think we find that is just a little bit easier to talk with the players. It's easier to give them some advice, just maybe even push them emotionally a bit more in the game, some situations. And I think it's uh, it's very interesting that you also can see how the other coaches and the other benches behave in these situations. And yeah, it's just very interesting uh, for me personally, because normally as the assistant manager on this level, you're not able to coach within the game. And now you have at least some influence additionally to the head coach and it's a very unique experience you touched on your experiences before working with marco and one of the things you were tasked with doing actually was that premier league clubs had asked you to break down Jurgen klopp and pep guardiola's pressing games So can you tell us the key differences between how both managers implement their version of it? I think it's uh, not so easy to say this because both teams are, or both managers, they are getting better each season. They're developing each season. If you compare uh, Mainz from Klopp with Dortmund from Klopp and now Liverpool, even Liverpool in the last years, they are changing a lot of different things. I think for um Guardiola it changed also a bit that before you had the feeling that his pressing was extremely good but always with the purpose of getting the ball back and now they really adapt also very very dangerously in terms of winning the ball to transition to counter to score goals after the counters I think they got a bit more similar in these regards and I think uh, both pressing games if you look at them they're very intense high press with um Club maybe sometimes using the midfield press a little bit uh, more often, but I think it's just uh, in terms of both managers, they're able to conduct the whole defending on the highest possible level, which is uh, pretty amazing if you consider how well they attack, how well they transition. And uh, it's, I think they're just developed from a different uh, pathway to very similar with some differences, obviously. Um, high-level defending situations and just really... It's really impressive when you look from the outside, you see the players they have at their disposal and just uh, the general intensity they are able to 
play the style to enable their style in attacking. And yeah, I think the differences are getting smaller. Obviously, still, I think that especially in big games, uh, club is more trying to press in order to score after a counter and Guardiola to keep the ball, to win the ball, but also more and more to score goals if it's possible um, after winning the ball. One of the other things you had to do was player analysis in terms of transfer possibilities for Brentford and Midtjylland. Now, how does analysing a player in a recruitment sense differ from analysing a team structure? Obviously, when you're looking at a player, you're thinking, how does he fit into the team structure and how can he advance it? So talk to me about the difference between looking at the individual versus when you're looking at the structure. I think um, that's... So basically, I was doing it part-time while I was studying. It was uh, more or less the best part-time job you can imagine as a student back then. And I'm very thankful because I realized that the starting point has to be the players because if you do not understand the players and his possibilities, his capabilities, and also his intention, what he wants to do, what he wants to play, uh, you will have a problem as a coach. It's not only in terms of recruitment or scouting because if you're not able to just know what the players wants to do and also what he's capable to do, you will not be able to introduce a system because you cannot introduce a system and expect it to work and the players to just do whatever you tell them. The players are always uh, the starting point. The players are always the first point because in the end, they will do the decisions on the pitch. They will communicate on the pitch. They will execute on the pitch, they will do whatever is necessary to win. And if they have the feeling they are not suited to your style, they will either not play that style and you might still end up successful if you have have smart, good and healthy locker room and if you're smart enough as a coach to adapt. But uh, you should not risk it because in the end, it's, uh, it's not for you to win the game, the players win the game. You're just giving them the best possible platform, ideally. So you always have to adapt to the players. And just uh, in regards to this, I think it's very important that you're able to analyze players in order to know what they're able to do in which positions they are able to play well and to their strengths. And I think um, you have to put them in a position to succeed. And that's the most important job of our, us as a coach. You've spoken about the importance of players having the freedom to make decisions on the pitch, but that coming within a framework. Now, there's a lot of clubs and even top clubs that we look at across Europe and we say we don't really know what their identity is. Now, with football being a game of endless decisions and mistake management, can players actually thrive if they don't have this identity and framework to work within? I think it's uh, in every sports and in, in life in general, if you have always just uh, one strength, just the same person all the time, you need people that complement you. It's uh, the same when you build a stuff. You need different types of people who are able to do different, uh, different things for the team. You need uh, the same on the pitch with the players because there's not a single player who can do everything better than any other player. So you will always need players and people who complement each other, who can help each other, who can support each other. So I think you always have to look at uh, how they fit together. 
I'm not sure even myself if you really need an identity that you give from the above. Obviously, it's helpful because it gives you guidelines for your recruitment, for your scouting, and then you're able to either have a team that thinks very similar and then has a very clear identity, or you have a plan how you can uh, make pieces fit together, especially for the locker room, but also on the pitch. And I think these are the two ways to go, but I'm not 100% sure if you have to give a very specific, certain identity from the above, because I think if you have uh, different qualities in your team or you have uh, qualities that maybe negate some uh, weaknesses, then uh, you will be able to, to have success anyways. And I think it's the players and the, and the head coach that are creating the identity most of the time, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But um, I think it's harder to do recruitment if you do not have the identity from the world. Speaking of identity, February is a huge month for Gladbach in terms of taking on two sides whose identity is crystallized. You guys play Guardiola City in the Champions League in between facing Julian Nagelsmann's RB Leipzig. Now, when you have a block of games like that, which is going to be quite technically demanding, very intense, both hard, but differing obstacles to face in different competitions where you've got different ambitions. How do you manage that? And also the fact that they're so close together, does it make it all the more taxing? I think that we still have to to rotate and we still have to find ways how we can just uh, still, no matter who we play, first of all, if the player is not healthy, he cannot play. And uh, our players healthy and their health is our number one priority. So it's, uh, it's, that's the most important thing. Afterwards, we can uh, then discuss maybe we, maybe we always focus on the next game and we focus on every opponent, no matter which competition and uh, the level of the opposition. We always focus on each opposition the same in terms of investment of time and resources. And the only thing we do is that we look at the next game or the, maybe the next two games, how far are they from each other in terms of uh, possibilities for rest? And if there's no possibility for rest, so we have uh, two games that are maybe only two days between each other, so you're not able to fully rest your players, then maybe we might look at both opponents at the same time, just so we maybe have a tactical reason, so to say, for the rotation. And everything else, we just look game by game and try to make it as best as possible while knowing that um, maybe one player is more suited to one game or that a player who is fresh is just in general uh, better than a player who is not fresh, even if his uh, transfer market value might be different. So we wait for Stefan to open the first ball. Looks a difficult operation. (laughs) Let's wait. Gives us a little bit of suspense to know. (laughs) Which team uh, will have to face uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach in this uh, round of 16? Manchester City. So Borussia Mönchengladbach versus uh, Manchester City, the semi-finals of uh, 2016. A team which reached the quarter-finals in five uh, of the last six seasons. When the Champions League draw happened, and Man City was the name pulled out 
and unveiled as your opposition. Was there a little apprehension or excitement or was it a mixture of both? It's excitement. It's just a privilege to be facing uh, such big and really, really good teams. I'm always hoping for the big challenge, the biggest possible challenge. I think we got one of the biggest possible challenges and it's just it's a pleasure to face it. For me, it's excitement. Gladbach are really good at the counter and rapid transition play. And one of City's vulnerabilities was dealing with that kind of team. They were weakest when they had just lost the ball and when they did face quite direct teams on the break. They're a lot more defensively solid this season and their form is based on that structure in their rear guard. So because they don't have those attacking blitzes anymore and that vulnerability, does that alter the challenge in any sort of way for Gladbach? You analyzed it really well. So I have not much to add to this, but I think that um, obviously I think that they are really, really good in all the phases of the game. We also aspire to be really good in all the phases of the game. So when we play against them, we will have to find uh, the best possible solution for what they offer us and what we can uh, do against them for all the phases. And I think there will be no difference in terms of uh, putting a bigger emphasis on this or that because you're just um, also a little bit dependent on the opposition as everyone is what they are giving us and also on the players we have at our disposal at that moment and uh, just in general the feel we have for that specific game so we will see when, when the time comes. Now I can't speak to you about the Premier League and not ask you about your fellow Austrian Ralph Hassenhutl who's been doing an exceptional job at Southampton. I'm sure pretty much everyone in the managerial world, after they got hammered by Leicester City, were all like, uh, how do you recover from such a drastic setback? How do you get the players back on side? How do you form any sort of game plan that they will all be fully committed to? But actually, they've become one of the best teams in the league to watch with the ball and without the ball. How much have you watched of his career so far and how do you rate him as a manager? I actually never met him or talked to him, but I've seen already his teams at the Ingolstadt. I've seen, obviously, his uh, teams at Leipzig and I've seen a little bit, but not enough to really give a, a competent judgment of his uh, Southampton team. But I think from what I've seen, it's, uh, first of all, you mentioned the heavy loss at the start of the season. It's just... For me, really amazing how you come back from this, how you get your dressing room back together, especially in these times that you're able to still have this conviction and commitment to the playing style and then become successful. Because sometimes even maybe the performance was not as bad, the result can still hurt you in terms of leading your team. It can hurt the players in terms of their commitment and conviction to the style of play. And uh, it's just fascinating how, how he did it. And I think that the, he also developed, if you look at his Ingolstadt teams, his first, second season at Leipzig and also now at Southampton, I think you see a steady development with the pressing game obviously still being the main aspect where I think he is uh, really, really good. And I think he's also developed in terms of the attacking game, 
And I think it's just a really, really good manager. And I think it's not, not a small thing that we have such a coach from such a little country like Austria. And it's obviously nice to see him have success in the Premier League. Do you actually have any teams or managerial approaches that you particularly enjoy watching? It's um, getting different because when I was younger, I really liked to watch Gladbach with uh, Fabre because back then, it's uh, some years ago already, he was bringing something new and different to the Bundesliga. That's also why I like Van Gaal at uh, Bayern Munich. I like Klopp because of the same reasons as Dortmund. So back then it was focusing more on teams and coaches. And now you're just looking across, you get messages with the internet right now, you see videos, highlight compilations, analyzes of different teams. So it's more when I find the time to binge watch um, first halves of some teams and then you just find some teams have uh, really, really interesting ideas, maybe different ideas. You see some ideas that you also have expressed in a different way. So it's just more looking through the work of other people, of other coaches, and just um, thinking about what it takes to play like this, thinking about why are they doing it different with these teams. And for instance, one team that I really enjoy watching in the Bundesliga, Stuttgart, because they play a very unique style in my eyes, very unique ideas. I think I've seen River Plate in, uh, in South America, Independiente, I've seen they're very interesting too. So I think it's um, it's not more like I have this one team. Obviously, I watched a lot of Barcelona under Guardiola because also it was a very unique style back then. So right now, Rayo Vallecano with Paco MS back then, it was uh, something I personally haven't seen before. And I also have not experienced it neither in terms of discussing it together with Marco, because back then I just did not have it. Also not facing it as an opposition, because we faced a lot of different, really, really good teams and coaches over the years. So now it's more focusing on the details and thinking about how are they able to implement this idea and reflecting more on this. And it's not less being a fan of a specific coach or a specific team. Okay, so you are only 28 and there must be more than just football, football, football. What else do you do to unwind? In my, my free time, I'm really, nobody believes in this, I'm really watching less and less football over the years. I'm, uh, a lot of my time, I'm just enjoying reading a book, meeting friends, which is really not possible right now because, first of all, I left Austria. Um, when I was in Austria, sometimes I would even drive to Croatia. It was not so far away to go to Zagreb to meet a friend. And now it's different with Corona. It's different in terms of the distance. But uh, here at Gladbach is my best friend. So obviously we spend time together at home. The thing I probably like the most in my free time is just to watch NBA basketball. It's, uh, it's, I watch probably on average in my free time. Not work-related, I might watch more NBA than I watch any league in the world. But are you watching NBA with a coach's hat on and thinking, hmm, that's an interesting offensive move. Ah, oh, that's a very good team talk the coach just gave. Is that still in there? That influence still lingering? It's, uh, it's, I have three hats. So the hat I use the most when I watch the NBA is just enjoying because I think the quality right now in the NBA in terms of the player level is 
unbelievable, just fantastic. A lot of very interesting stories to follow. So that's uh, the main thing. But obviously, sometimes uh, you see some actions of the players. You see some uh, actions of the coach, team talks, the timeouts, uh, how they talk. And it's uh, very interesting. But if I'm focusing more on the coaches, I go on YouTube. And there are really, really good talks and clinics from uh, basketball coaches which are just on a really high level. So I really enjoy watching them sometimes, but uh, that's rare. Normally, I really watch the NBA and I just focus on the players and enjoy the entertainment. I hope then that you watched The Last Dance. Oh, yeah. It came uh, in the lockdown, so timing was perfect because I think at the start of it, you were not allowed to train. And then it was uh, towards finishing. I think we were allowed to train with two or four players who still... Very, very small groups and little interactions. And I think uh, I think everyone watched it because it was just the perfect timing and it was really enjoyable, really good insight into the locker room, into Jordan, into the stories surrounding them. And it was just uh, really good entertainment. So to close off then, the killer question. Would you have loved or hated to coach a player who's in that Michael Jordan mold because he was absolutely phenomenal, but he was also kind of a bully. I think it uh, depends on the teammates if they are uh, willing to to face his bulliness and the, the way they face it. But I think um, in general, I would like to have a player like this because I think he's not only bullying others, if you want to call it bullying, he's bullying himself uh, the same way. So he's keeping the standards high. And I think if you talk with him about it, about the standards, I think that you are able to somewhat direct his behavior. I hope it might not be accurate. And I think then you can achieve greatness if you have um, an atmosphere where there's a lot of honest, direct, and also hard criticism, but with uh, everyone knowing it's uh, for the sake of us being a better team. If he's... Um, passing the the limits and I think it was even in the last dance that uh, Phil Jackson even threw him out of uh, practice because he overdid and he maybe did it in a way that was not beneficial for the team anymore and he was very insightful when he said he did a mistake he came back Phil Jackson was right so I think he was very coachable in this regards so if it that's accurate I think I would have loved to have a player like him I hope you've come away from this episode with a different outlook on the tactical side of football. And Renee Marek, you really should remember that name because we'll be hearing a lot more of it on a grander stage. Thank you so much for joining me Between the Lines. Between the Lines is a Stakhanov production written and narrated by me, Melissa Reddy. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Our assistant producer is Natalie Wilson. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. This 
was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.